0: Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and our happiness,
2: happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. I was talking about this last night and he said happiness is egg-shaped. Hey, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Happinesses podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg Shaped, and today we're going a little bit off-piste. Uh, we have a magnificent lady of sport, and she really is of sport. She's one of those annoying people that is good at lots of things and gets to go and watch and talk, so I'm under a bit of pressure because today I get to interview a pro, a proper presenter, a proper quiz master, question Poser. I'm looking forward to this. Been all over, very well respected and lots of exciting things to talk about coming this summer but a fabulous journey to talk about as well. Uh, Very, very prestigious position coming up and also still on a high after the mighty St. Johnston claiming their second trophy of the season. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage the one and the only Miss Ailey Barber. Hello. Hi. How are you?
4: Yeah, I'm good. good.
0: And you have just come back from being overseas, which at the moment feels like a completely different world. Talk us through your last few days.
4: Yeah. um, It was an absolute mission of form filling out to get there and to get back, but I've just been out in Spain at the uh, Scotland national team Euro twenty twenty warm up camp um, to do some media with them ahead of the tournament, which was um, which was it was good, it was great, but honestly, it's not easy. Nothing's easy these days.
0: And <laughs> getting to spend time in a holding camp—is it? Is it interesting to see the relationships and the way they're preparing? I mean, Scotland have not been in a situation like this for a long time. So, what feeling did you get leaving there?
4: It's really hard because they are socially distancing as well. They can only, well, the minute they're off a training pitch, they are following the same rules as us. So they're not interacting the way that you would normally expect. Um, we didn't film training that day. We were there to film. whole bunch of green screen stuff a couple of sit-down interviews and and yeah they're kept very much in small groups and they're you know they were at there were I think five different stations within within this whole setup that we were in so there was one player at each station at a time they were all kept very apart and so yeah, it's, you don't get that same feel, but obviously when you sit down and speak to them, and we we did our our interviews, you know, you can tell the excitement levels are through the roof, and they can't wait to get started. Um, we're speaking ahead of the first warm up game they've got tonight against the Netherlands, so yeah, I'm sure they are all they're all absolutely buzzing right now. And um, over in they're now in Portugal for the game tonight, so. So yeah, be, I'm really looking forward to it. Can't wait to watch them tonight and see see what Steve Clark puts out.
0: And Scotland in the past have been the opposition for other teams warming up. This is a this is a different situation. And and you're saying they're having to socially distance, but they've never prepared for a tournament like this before. So some of them don't really know any different, do they?
4: I know, yeah. Well, that's true. And they must all be so used to it because it's the same at their clubs, you know, you're you're kept in small groups and you're sitting apart and there's so many rules for them all to follow. So I imagine that part's not too different, but yeah, I think, I think a few of them said, you know, once they get into the actual camp. So when they, when they played their two friendlies, they come back to the UK and they're going to be based down at Middlesbrough's training centre for the duration of, of the Euros. And I think when they get there, a few of them said, you know, that's going to, that's going to feel, you know, like the, like it's all starting, they, they were having quite a bit of fun out in Spain as well as so many of them said the training was really, really tough. But you know, they had some golf in the afternoon, they'd been having quizzes, they'd been doing various sort of different competitions and um, to keep them amused. And I think they were, I think they were having a good time. And then obviously, as it gets closer, it's going to be a bit more of the tough stuff, I imagine.
0: You've been in and around the squad and and professional sport, but football especially, and you've been through the journey of them qualifying when they sit down in front of you do they relax their shoulders because they're with Ailey or how's that relationship?
4: Um, it's different from player to player a lot of the players I've interviewed when they've been at Scottish clubs and um, the players that have played at, at Celtic or at Rangers or at various clubs around Scotland I've interviewed them a lot and been around a lot when I was working as a trackside reporter. and um, a lot of the other players I've never met before, um, Che Adams, Lyndon Dykes, players like that I've I've never spoken to. So they don't know who I am, really. I I don't think. So yeah, it depends. You know, the minute you they're all a really good bunch of guys. The minute you sit down with them, they, you know, you can have a laugh and a and a chat and and they're a pretty relaxed bunch. So yeah, it just varies from player to player. Um, but yeah, the ones I know, it's it's good to catch up with them again because I don't see them so much when when they're playing the Premier League.
0: Do you feel like a player because you <laughs> you you just said you've been trackside at Scottish club games, but now you've been called up for international duty and you're about to go to a major tournament. Is that how it feels? Do you still do you think you get a similar buzz to a player?
4: I would say it's... I wouldn't imagine it's a similar buzz to what they get, but definitely it's a, it's a different buzz to... Yeah, like, you know, doing... I'm not doing a different job, but I'm in a different environment. And um, the Czech Republic game coming up, I mean, I just can't wait. I absolutely can't wait. And I wouldn't necessarily feel that about every single game I do if that makes sense yeah but this is this is massive this is Scotland in a major tournament and um it's something that when I think back to where I was the last time Scotland played in a major tournament I was at school with ambitions of perhaps one day working in the media and okay it's taken 23 years but you know in those 23 years like where I am now is yeah it's pretty pinch yourself stuff to be honest
0: where were you when John Collins scored against Brazil
4: I was in my house I uh, had come back from school it took me 45-50 minutes or something on a bus to get back from school and I actually missed I missed the whole build-up I missed the anthems I missed the opening goal because it took me so long to get back from school it was a really early kickoff yeah and I watched it in the house yeah
0: because I, I was waiting for an exam at uni. <laughs> that's that's where we were, and the people who didn't have an exam were enjoying the build up and were getting prepared for it. And some of us were not enjoying the build up. Let's just put it like that. But yeah, that's how weird is it that so many have never experienced that, never seen Scott and. going to be able to watch it on tv and that will still create a buzz i hope but they're not going to get the you know news this morning please don't travel unless you've got a ticket there's a little bit of sadness around that isn't there
4: oh definitely i mean um talking of people who've not seen scotland a major championship one of the interviews i had out in spain was with david turnbull and he's in the squad (laughs) wasn't even born the last time scotland were in a major (laughs) (laughs) championship there's players Experienced it, and even some of the guys who would have been two, three, four years old when Scotland were there, they don't remember it. So all they've grown up with is is failing to qualify, really. So um, yeah, but also speaking to them, and we've seen it in you know whether it's Rangers living, lifting the trophy, whether it was St Johnson winning two cups, whether it was Livingston getting to a cup final, you know, none of these big moments have been witnessed by the fans, and and it le- it does leave a hole. It leaves a massive hole. So. The fact that we're getting fans in is definitely positive, but it's just, yeah, it's just a shame that we can't have full stadiums and have everything and the build-up to that. When you look back at the pictures in France and the Celts walking through the streets and just all the fun that was had out there, it's, yeah, it's a shame we're not going to see that down down in London. We'll see it a bit, but, you know, not to see it in the same extent will be a real shame.
0: And you're going to be working with guys. I don't know if they're if they're pundits or experts. I, I'm never very sure how they view the phrase of pundit. But you're going to be working with some ex-pros who never got to do that, and they were bloody good players. Do they, in a in a quiet moment, say to you, "This lot don't know how lucky they are, or I wish that had happened to me, or we weren't good enough"? Do, do they ever give you little gems?
4: I mean, I think they. I think the players know how lucky they are because already, because the vast majority of them have never seen it happen before. So they know it's not something that comes around very often. But you know, working the night that we qualified, I was in the studio with Darren Fletcher and Jamie McFadden, <laughs> who are two of the greatest Scotland <laughs> of the generation. mean you know, absolutely just superb football players, never turned down an opportunity to represent a country. Um and neither of them showed in any way any bitterness any jealousy it was they were just so happy and so delighted to see a scotland team back at the euros i mean i I think they jumped higher than me in that studio picture (laughs) that
0: (laughs) that picture is one of the moments of the qualification (laughs) it's an absolute belter i think for a while it was your profile picture wasn't it
4: yeah yeah it was it was brilliant and yeah, they were just, they're two of the most positive people when it comes to talking about the national team as well. I love working with them because they know how difficult it is at international level. And the team over the years has had a lot of stick. They got a lot of stick in the teams that they were in. And um, even Steve Clark's early days, you know, we didn't, I think it was four games, four defeats under Steve Clark initially. And there were a big, criticisms towards how he was setting team up and you know and look what he's gone on to achieve and and those two would never you know they're very they're very realistic in in how difficult international football is and they're very positive about what Scotland are or were on the brink of achieving back then and and the squad that we have and and uh, and the coaching team that that they have and you know they've they've gone on to do something incredibly special so so, yeah, no, it's um, it's been great. It was absolutely brilliant being with those two that night and, that we played Serbia. It was, yeah,
0: brilliant. One, one of the reasons I was desperate to speak to you is you are, to me, you just look like you're a supporter who is very, very lucky. And I know you've, you've quoted a couple of almost stats there. I think you know that not because it's your job, but because you're passionate about it. And that comes across when you speak to people and when you present and when you're in it, you can see how much you love it. Do you realize that?
4: Yeah you have you have to love it because it is for me it's the greatest job in the world and because I love it because it's a passion but it's not it's not always like an easy it's not always easy I mean I've given up I give up every weekend pretty much. the year you know i might get a couple off over the summer but when you take all the football major tournaments golf into account i don't have many weekends left um and there's a lot of travel there's a lot of being cold there's a lot of standing around there's a lot of a lot of the time you're not doing a lot you're just waiting um and and all of that you know like i say all of that Doesn't matter to me because I love it so much. But if you didn't, all of that could be really, uh, uh, like you wouldn't enjoy it. You wouldn't enjoy it. So yeah, you have to love it. And um, I'm just lucky that I do get to work on some.
0: We're we're going to get to one of the stories that I'm desperate to get to. But one of the things I want to ask before I get there is, why did you want to work in media and? Be involved in sport in that way and not be the person performing.
4: <laughs> because I was rubbish.
0: That's not true. <laughs> that is not true. And you know that's not true.
4: I was not good enough. No, nowhere close to being good enough to have played any sport at any level. Um, I love playing so many different sports, but I am pretty average at best <laughs> at all of them.
0: But you must, you must have made that decision early because the story we're going to get on to, you made a, a pretty big career decision very young. Yeah,
4: You're, and wanting to, wanting to be in the media. Yeah. yeah. I, I think as well, growing up, I grew up in Dunkels and there weren't sports teams. So I didn't have, I didn't really have any other, I didn't really know that there were, national training camps for young girls or that there were you know leagues and clubs and I played in an under-13s team in Perth. Um but you know we didn't have sports teams so that and also there weren't women's sport wasn't really covered. We didn't see a lot of it. So that sort of didn't seem like an option. It didn't seem like an a thing that that you could aspire to be. But the media side of it and I think this is the story you're getting to I remember being whatever age and watching Grandstand and Hazel Irvin coming on and presenting for the first time. <laughs> that was then something I could relate to, someone I could relate to, a Scottish female on national television talking about sports. And I thought, right, well, you can't be a sports person as a woman or, you know, I don't have any teams around me. So I want to do what she does. I want to talk about it instead.
0: So you saw Hazel Irvin, and this is my favourite story about... A- well, that's not true. This is one of my favourite stories about Ailey Barber. You saw Hazel Irvin, and what did you do next?
4: I wrote her a letter and asked her, how do I get your job, basically? <laughs> no, i her. Yeah.
0: And that is what I want to get to, because you thought this is a podcast, but we need a confession, because no one's seen Hazel Irvin for years, Ailey Barber. <laughs> She was back in the snooker. No, I know. When she came back, I was I, I was delighted to see her, but I was also a bit gutted because I've loved giving you a hard time for Hazel disappearing. So you're I'm so glad that she's back safe. And I created the hashtag Hazel's back after after really? Ailey Barber making sure that she was erased for a while.
4: <laughs> yeah, no,
0: she she was back for the snooker. So So you sent her a letter that said I would like to do your job. And what response did you get?
4: I got a letter back um, with, yeah, the advice that, you know, to to try and uh, do some work experience to work in university radio and stuff like that. Yeah. The kind of thing that, that I would probably send to anybody else who asked me for it. So um, no, it was great though to get a response from her and then um, I remember the first time I worked with her was actually at the snooker and um, and it was great. Yeah. You know, got to work with my hero, So big moment.
0: And that must be that must be brilliant for her to want to get that letter, because I hope at the time she was she realized she was inspiring someone that she, you know, and, and you probably don't realize you're you're likely doing that for people you know it's hard to tell the reach that that you've got and then for you to say you were getting to work with your hero and for her now to watch where your career has gone she must get a huge kick out of that have you have you spoken to her about her role in your your career
4: yeah she I I told her I wrote to her um so (laughs) she obviously didn't remember because it was probably about 15 years later that I said so that I actually wrote her a letter but and I imagine she got a lot of letters from people so um we have had a chat and uh, obviously when I did the golf took over the golf and um, her last event I worked up not alongside her but I worked and sat in the studio and learned from her and she was amazing and um, passing on all her little tips and knowledge and and um, because she's one of the most knowledgeable broadcasters, sports broadcasters around, if not the most. Her depth of knowledge is incredible. And she's you know, you when you work in these things, you you work out little systems that kind of work for you, make it easier in a way, or, you know, help you remember things. So she passed on a few of, of the things that have worked for her over the years and and all that's invaluable and yeah, it was it's been amazing to learn from her as well.
0: So what, what is that? Is it, oh, you need to watch her because she's a bit prickly. Uh, make sure you compliment him and that gets him on a good side. Is it to do with actual personalities or is it to do with technique and response? And how, how does it work? How does the feedback go?
4: It's more to do with how you, your preparation, how you prepare, because you can't know everyone. You can't know everything thing, you know, it's sort of try to work out how you can have the best knowledge for each day or for each section of the day or each interview or each program and it's, um, yeah, so sort of little, whether it's like color coding or whether it's, you know, in your notes and, and just try to like work out the best way and everybody works differently. You'll see it with commentator notes. From one commentator to another, completely different systems, but both will come out with a similar outcome, if you like. So, yeah, she sort of shared a few of those kind of those kind of things, and just um, yeah, various places we've been to that she'd been to, and you know where the you know, it comes down to where the best place to get a cup of coffee or something might be. You know, little things like that.
0: <laughs> I love it. I think that's uh the BBC need to have a fly on the wall with the two of you. <laughs> Next time there's they both here together, they need to do something with the two of you together. I think that would be absolutely gold. Where there's lots of skills that you need for the job you do. But one of the one of the qualities that you must have is confidence. Where did your confidence come from to work in the media in a in a very exposing environment? in a challenging environment? Where did your confidence come from?
4: I have no idea. And a lot of the time, I think when I look back, a lot of the time, I didn't feel there was a lot of confidence there. Um, I think it was more a determination. I I wanted to do this job. I wanted to continue progressing. And you kind of just had to, Get used to putting yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit, and um, I think as long as I knew my I knew my stuff, as long as I knew I knew the subject, and I I knew I felt I knew what I was talking about, I felt like there, that I was okay, um, and I think confidence is just built over time. It's more about being comfortable, and to get comfortable, you have to. To do something a few times and um, if i think back or look back on early days in studio or early interviews like uh, there's nothing you know it's not there and even still now when you do something still now moments where i'll put myself out of my comfort zone and you have to kind of fake that you feel comfortable if you know what i mean um which i think you probably get better at as as you get a bit more experienced as well but but yeah, I don't. I, it's a strange one. I mean, I was never a, I was never somebody who was particularly, you know, I, I wouldn't get up and sing a song in front of a room full of people when I was young. You know, I just I think I just tried not to think about it too much and just keep going. Sort of look at the, towards what I wanted my end goal to be.
0: So you were confident in your area of passion and expertise, and that that gave you comfort. Did you have? full sticker albums did you you know did you get magazines were you a, were you looking at stats were you reading about people where did your you know if you want to be a footballer you go outside and you kick a ball a lot if you want to be a presenter what do you do a lot when you're a kid
4: again i don't know i mean i was i was a complete geek about st johnston i had all their stats all I mean, I knew everything about them. Um, I've still got newspaper cuttings and all these sorts of things that I used to cut out the newspaper when I was young. And so, yeah, I was a complete geek about them. Um, but I think I just naturally enjoyed sport, and I it was something I would watch. I mean, I was watching grandstand and all these programs on the TV, the sports scene results, the highlights, match of the day. All that. I watched all that from from being yeah 11 12 years old so I probably just you just absorb it I think a bit when you're younger and then as as I realized what I wanted to do I, I would always be somebody that would watch the build-up like I wouldn't just come in at kick-off I would always want to watch the build-up I'd always want to watch the post-match analysis Um because that was what I was interested in as much as I was interested in in the 90 minutes of football or whatever sport it was I was watching so I guess it's just a bit of that would be what I did when I was younger. Um, Listen to the radio and, yeah.
0: So being being a product of your environment, it sounds to me, so who were the role models around you? So you, Hazel Irving was the one on the screen, but who around you was supporting that, encouraging that? challenging that listening to your stories i mean i've my sticker albums are are here on the shelf and the the boys that that i teach they're not actually that interested in this well a couple of them were flicking through them and one of them was on his phone and i'm saying to him what are you doing he said sir do you realize this sticker album is worth four grand on ebay (laughs) and i was like no, and I've got a multi-sport one that's got a Mike Tyson sticker in it. He says, Sir, this sticker alone's worth fifteen hundred pound. I was like, but they're my sticker albums. They're they're mine. They're they're weathered from me using them. And and I I love that. I used to sit at a table and write teams and draw strips and have the manager. And I, so I used to I suppose I was preparing maybe to be a coach or to be a teacher, a PE teacher in future, who around you was encouraging you with, with your passion?
4: Um, when I was at uni, I mean, I say it was a passion. It wasn't something that I was like, you know, I knew what I wanted to be, but I didn't change anything when I was at school to be that, if that makes sense. I was just going through school and having fun and playing sport and, you know, and then when I was at uni, I think it was, I think it was when I was at uni, um, our family moved to Dunkeld, and Andy Gillis was working for Five Live at the time. He was one of their senior reporters. He did a lot of producing for Five Live. And uh, he very kindly took me to games, took me to press conferences. And then he was the one that gave me my first... Uh, work experience position which was at the open in true and I did four days there with them I mean I was watching people taking sandwiches to the guys out on the course I was you know I wasn't broadcasting but I was meeting people and and being around it and trying to learn and and through that met John Beattie who was I think he was presenting was he anyway John Beattie was there and Again, he then gave me little bits more with things that he'd do over summer for Radio Scotland. And so those two in the early days were were very important to me. Um, and it's great to... I mean, I still see John around the place and Andy I've seen on occasion at, at Games down South. He still does little bits and pieces. He's moved back down to the south of England now. So I don't see him so often. But those two, particularly Andy, giving me that first opportunity were were very important, and I th- I don't know. My parents obviously would never they never told me to do anything else, but I don't know if they thought what what could happen. Um, I think they thought that probably somewhere down the line I would end up doing something else, but you know they absolutely supported me a hundred percent, and um, particularly when I went freelance, um, they were they were very supportive. So.
0: John Beattie is a great guy. Love, love Big John. Top, top man. So you went to uni with the purpose of getting a degree in in film and media. Was that that useful with what you're doing now? Sometimes I hear people talk about their degrees and it, it was just a holding camp until real life started. And then other people have said, oh, no, it was the learning in that time absolutely has helped and some people saying i learned what not to do by going to do a degree what, what was your experience of your uni degree
4: well sterling university where i went had a really good film media department and um there was an option after your first two years when you went into your your final two years you could choose whether you wanted to do a more practical side of it in audiovisual production part of the degree or a more theoretical one where you did a lot of various other things which obviously I don't know because I didn't do it I did the uh, practical <laughs> audiovisual production so I spent my final two years at uni making documentaries uh, radio programs uh, tv magazine shows uh, all that kind of thing and it was it was brilliant it was absolutely brilliant um because you learn how to do a lot of the skills that I have then gone on to use and it was you know from from planning to filming to interviewing to editing sound all of that we did ourselves and um when I went to do that work experience at the open and various other bits and pieces I had an understanding of how things came together which which was invaluable to be honest because I was able to have a bit of knowledge and ask a lot of questions around that bit of knowledge you know why why do you do it like that why is it you know which is the biggest thing for people i say when they go and get work experience ask questions like that you're there to improve your knowledge but you're also there to make an impression and i think because i asked so many questions i was able to get a lot of knowledge and then when i got various different work experience roles i was able to actually be in some way helpful and useful, um, and get asked back. So, yeah, no, my degree did help me. The final two years, the first two years might might have been more sociable than.
0: <laughs> Where are those documentaries and things now? Please tell me they are on that shelf behind you.
4: No, I mean they might be somewhere at home because it was back in the day of like video and stuff. We didn't just have a yeah have a. Um, an mp4 of it or whatever it's whatever like format you would use but yeah so i don't have i don't have them i think there might be one at home i need to see if i can find it because the uh, we did a documentary that was that i just loved i'd love to watch it again actually because i think in my head it was amazing but i mean i think yeah. i'd probably watch it back and go oh my goodness look at those edits
0: yeah <laughs> uh, I've, I've spoken to a couple of people about things like that and i, I heard dave allred talking about his work with Johnny Wilkinson, and when he thinks back to it, he says it was terrible. But what he was doing was the best at that time with the knowledge he had and the experience he had, and that was the best job he could do. But now he's, you know, he would do it differently. Those experiences that you had were crucial in shaping where you got to just now. But there's there's a huge element of luck in in sport and in media is there is there one moment where you can see where that gave you your in
4: there was a lot of luck it was luck that andy gillis moved to tiny little Dunkeld and in, in perthshire from from england and um, that was luck there was uh there was so much luck along the way and um, luck that i met john beatty that i went freelance at the time i went freelance that Positions became available when they became available, um, I, my first job um, was with STV at Scottsport, Um but when they took me on, there was, it was in the final year of the contract and they were like, we can give you a job for this season, but that's it. But BBC Alba started up the following season covering football. So that was luck um, and I was able to get in there and I learned so much there. Because you did a little bit of everything at BBC Alba, Um, it was a really small team we had, so yeah, you know that as well was luck. So little things like that have happened all the way through my career, and um, and I think, like you say, for everybody, there is an element of luck and timing, and you know things that happen along the way.
0: But you, you were prepared for those lucky moments that come along. So Katie Aitchison, nine years old, writes Ailey Barbara a letter and says, I want...
1: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
0: to do what you do how do you respond to that now knowing what you know now how would you respond to to that letter
4: um i would say that it if you're passionate about it if it's 100% what you want to do then work hard meet people learn skills uh try and decide exactly what what you want your path to look like i had no idea that was another thing i never set out in this to be in front of a camera i had no idea what i wanted to do so do a bit of everything take every opportunity that you might get ask questions um, be inquisitive be helpful be confident show your passion show your knowledge at every opportunity you get because it's now way more difficult than when i started trying to get into it it's become now a a massive um there's a massive passion to do it and I just look at I didn't have many options of where I went to uni to do film and media and sport there was sterling and then there was a broadcast journalist degree I think at Napier and those were the only two in, in Scotland really that were around when I was going to uni now every university does it you know there are thousands of people graduating every single year trying to get the very few jobs that there are available. So, yeah, take every single opportunity and and just don't let the knocks throw you off track.
0: And, uh, which is amazing advice, and you should be standing up in front of crowds of kids to, to tell them that, not just about film and media, just about any career they're going to take. At what point have you sat down opposite somebody and almost pinched yourself thinking like was it was it i know you peter alice was was a huge uh, role model for you and a hero for you you're about to go and work with gary lineker who you know when i was a kid scored for england in the 86 world cup and then went to play for barcelona and when i went on holiday spain i got a lineker barcelona shirt (laughs) like those moments for me and and doing things like this i've I've sat down and I've thought, I can't believe I'm getting to speak to these people. Has there been many of those moments for you?
4: Oh, loads. Um, A lot of the time, you sort of, it's funny, like, I I think when I work with people and you you see them a lot and then you go somewhere where the public are and the the public go crazy for this person, you sort of forget, oh, yeah, they're an absolute legend, but, you know, (laughs) it's just terrible, you know what I mean? I love working with Ali McCoist. I mean, growing up as a Scotland fan, you know, it was, and then watching Question of Sport, you know, Koisty being on the telly and now you get to hang out with him and, you know, chat football to him. It's, uh, you know, he's somebody that's, and he's because he's just such good fun as well, you know, that that's somebody who I love. I love, um, I sort of think to myself, my, you know, I think when my mum gets excited as well, you all know that it's somebody big. So she's like, oh, you're working with Ali? Yeah, you know? so, yeah, Alan course, is a good one, but there's so many people that, you know, you interview or, you know, you work alongside, and you think, oh my goodness, they were, you know, they're absolute legends. You know, I mean, I, Thierry Henry did the the Euros four years ago, and Vincent Kompany did some stuff as well, and, you know, Thierry Henry for me was was still is one of the best players in the Premier League. So
0: right, come on, spill the beans. Is he that cool?
4: He's Probably a little bit cooler and also a little bit more charming.
0: Is he? Because he just seems like if you, if you had to have a stereotypical handsome French footballer, he is it. He is just an absolute dream.
4: He is uh, yeah, all those things. Yeah, <laughs> that so that's why. Uh,
0: and there's there's the bit that we see and and this is something I quite often say to kids and my oldest daughter likes to sing and dance and act and, and perform. But when you see the movie or the YouTube video, or you're seeing the very tip of the iceberg, there's, you know, there's so much has gone into what is going to be an amazing summer of sport for you to, you know, it's, hate sounding like an old man but it'll be gone in a flash you know but enjoy it while it's there and you've worked hard for it and all has is it those moments off the camera that maybe even mean the most like that celebration just you and those two people that have thrown together in this weird situation and that's who you shared that moment with
4: yeah definitely definitely it's um i mean you, there's so much that happens off camera, like you say, and when I look back at the last major tournament I did, which was the Women's World Cup in France, I don't remember the games, I don't really remember the studio, I remember the stadiums, and I remember, you know, there was one that was unbearably hot, it was about 40, 40 something degrees, and we were trying to do this game, and I remember things like that, but I remember the train journeys, I remember the the bus trips, I remember traveling you know with the people I was with and the the fun we had and the laughs we had and you know that is a lot of the time what you do remember Um, which might seem strange but you are put together like you say in that group and in a major tournament you're in that group for three, four, five weeks whatever it might be and and, uh, yeah you have a lot of fun in that time and um, you get to know people in a different way, a lot a lot of different ways. So yeah, the uh, and the, when you celebrate the big moments, you always remember we are in certain big moments. And I remember, yeah, I always remember where I was with two absolute legends in a studio <laughs> in London. <to> <laughs>
0: You mentioned it, Koisty tells the story that he was at Wembley doing the England game when that happened. And then off camera, I think the COVID guidelines went out the window because everybody <coughs> wanted Scott to win it and, and they had a big celebration. The you, you, you didn't really take me up on it at the beginning, but the more I hear, if I was to speak to a player, there's a lot of them don't remember the games. They remember the changing room. They remember the bus trip, the hotel, the nonsense. You're telling a lot of stories that are very similar to a player and you you get to perform on on your stage. The the people around you do you feel do you feel like a team? If if Ailey does well, that's good for us. And you know you're helping them to do well.
4: Yeah, you are a big team. Um everything has to has to work together. Um, Everybody has to has to be on their game all the time, you know. I suppose in that in that regard, it is a little bit like like being a player, you know. You, you um you can't substitute in ours, so you know, someone's having a bad game. Do <laughs> I get through it? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it is. It's a really it is a really good team, and there are so I mean it's it's ridiculous how many tiny little parts have to come together to. Put a game of football on the telly and, and everything that goes around it. Um, and uh, again, you talk about me being passionate about it. Everybody who works in that environment is passionate about it, and um, everybody wants it to look and to be as good as it possibly can be. So it is. It's a it's a really it's a really good team. Doesn't matter what team you work in, it's always a really good team of people who are all trying one hundred percent to make it as good as possible and help each other through it and if you know because you need you need people to help you through it as well um when you're standing up there i've got voices in my ear i've got my pundits we'll help each other out if somebody starts to kind of flag a little bit you know somebody will come in and help them out and you know that that's kind of the way it it sort of works I, i
0: love it the um the bit about helping each other—you, you, you know—again, you're speaking like a, like a performer, like a team. You know, if if the right back overlaps, that means I can hit the penalty spot and we, we create an opportunity. It, it's brilliant. The it must be quite lonely though. I spoke to you a while ago, and you were about to get in the car and drive very far for a game. You spend a lot of time on your own. Mm-hmm. Is that then? I'll phone mum and see how that's going or uh, catch up with this or uh, or is it playlist on or is it listening to the radio so you're filling up more knowledge is that a mixture
4: a mixture of all those things if it's the weekend my mom and dad are usually playing golf so i don't phone them <laughs> <laughs> maybe on the way home um no yeah a lot of it, i'll listen to podcasts i'll listen to the radio i'll listen to playlists and i will i'll be on the phone. Yeah. You know, there's a lot, and during COVID, it's been a lot more than than usual driving because trying to limit public transport and the public transport there is is fairly limited in itself. So, I will get the train when I can, and then you can, you know, do a little bit work on the way down, and then do a little bit work on the way home for your game the next day. Usually, because at the moment it's driving everywhere. It's you know, you're getting back at half past eight at night on a Saturday night, and you've got a You've got to be back on, in a studio at half past nine the next morning. You've got a whole programme, of script and and everything. So weekends are pretty full on at the moment. It's a lot easier when you can start getting the train. And, um, and quite often I have company on the train as well because a lot of the time Ian Crocker and Andy Walker will do the commentary at the same game as me because we get all the Scottish-based people get put to the north of England usually. So quite often I'll have those two and we have a little... Glass of wine on the train on the way home on a Saturday night. Last we're all preparing for our game the next morning. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be glad when those days come back and we can, I can stop driving quite so much.
0: See, back to being player again, having a having a drink on the way home <laughs> after the game. It's sounding more and more like it. Is got, got go- it, Ah, that's true. They've <laughs> got a game the next day. They can have more than a glass. Is is golf one of the ways that you can zone out and just? relax and be alien that likes to play sport again
4: yeah that's my proper relaxation like phones away and um, and it's it's a weird thing if, if somebody contacts me when i'm on a golf course i can ignore it because i know when i say to them in two three hours time oh i'm sorry i was playing golf it's acceptable whereas if you just ignore somebody because you can't be bothered dealing with work at the moment it's uh people will think well why are you not getting back to me but to to be on a golf course is an acceptable excuse not to get back straight away I always think so um yeah no that's my switch off outside fresh air your mind is completely on what you're doing good conversation yeah that's my absolute switch off I absolutely love it
0: and do you get invites to pro-am competitions and golf days and things like that that you like to nod your head and say yes to
4: Oh yeah, always say yes to those. Always <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a shame again last year with with everything going on. the The proams, the proams didn't happen. So hopefully there'll be another. There'll be a few this year that maybe we can we can do. But um, yeah, no, they're brilliant. I played in a brilliant one actually last summer in Castle Stewart Royal Dornock and Nairn, where the three courses over three days, um, which was one of the sort of few events that that went ahead. Uh, probably because I think at the time up there they were in level one or level zero or whatever it was up in the north so they were able to to put something on and and it was absolutely brilliant so yeah I always say yes to those lovely little invites that might come along.
0: Can Hazel Irvin play golf?
4: Yeah very well apparently I've never played her but yeah she's a golfer.
0: Who uh, who Who are the other Female amateur golfers. I know Eve Muirhead likes to swing a club. Jenny Faulkner's quite often on Instagram posting pictures of rounds of golf and playing in with Greg Laidlaw and various others. Who who else is worth it?
4: Yeah. Um. So yeah, Eve's very good. She always wins Putlockery. My mum's a member at Putlockery, and Eve's always winning the uh, the ladies' Open up at Putlockery. Um. So she's very good. Jenny's very good. Uh, ebony rainford brent the cricketer she's a good yeah. golfer rachel brown finnis the former england goalkeeper i played with her she's a good golfer as well claire balding plays a bit of course um, yeah no there's a fair there's a fair few of them probably missing people out Delly care she's a good golfer oh is she yeah so yeah there's a there's a a fair bunch of us now playing which is which is good
0: how how long before you write a book in the way Claire Balding's written some books? Are we are we going to see an Ailey Barber series?
4: No, I don't think so. Not yet. I have to find something to write about first.
0: Surely that wee girl from Doug Keld uh, <laughs> has got has got a story to tell. Bill McLaren tells a story that when he would be organising events outside his house and he would sit on the wall and commentate but his pals are the ones that were actually doing it are there are there moments of Ailey interviewing her pals on the walk home from playing sport or on the bus
4: no no I don't think so like I say I never really I never really changed it because I didn't know what I wanted to do really I knew I wanted to work in sport and talk about it but in terms of what I wanted my role in the media to look like I was never really sure I started off behind the scenes editing putting together highlights packages and things like that and it just sort of all evolved so um yeah I wasn't really somebody that that did all that uh, which is a shame because I know some of my commentator <laughs> friends who've all done that kind of thing they still got their tapes <laughs> Refuse to let anyone
0: hear them. <laughs> they'll they'll be unearthed at some point. Now, one of the bit, another bit that intrigues me about you, you disappeared to South Korea. Yeah, with with the intention of why not, or was there a no, purpose, or
4: there was method to my madness. Um, yeah, I taught English in South Korea in a tiny little village in a private academy um but at the time I'd, I'd finished uni i'd had those little bits of work experience and and, and things i would had a couple of paid jobs through john beatty and you know finished uni and that was me now trying to get into the industry i wanted to work in um i was living in edinburgh i was working in a, in a temp job to pay the bills and stuff but Edinburgh wasn't a great choice it's quite an expensive city to live in I'm sure you know (laughs) when you've just come out of uni and you suddenly have things like council tax to pay so I was working this temp job but I was having to work sort of five six days a week to make ends meet and then the only way I could get work was to work for free because it's regulated a lot better now but back then you know you you didn't have runner jobs as much you know everything was sort of oh the work experience person's essentially the runner so you didn't get paid because you were on work experience. And I couldn't, I couldn't do enough to get me known. So I went to South Korea for a year with the sort of idea of earning a lot of money, being able to come back, not work for however many months. I think I ended up managing about six months on the money that I'd brought back from South Korea and and just used that time to yeah do work experience i did volunteer work at the rugby world cup when they had a couple of games at, at murray fields i did anything and everything i could email people met people phone calls all those sorts of things and until i eventually got um the job at stv doing scotsport so that's that's from-
0: determination Yeah. that that is yeah, outrageous just- determination and South Korea, I mean, that's that's brave. That's not the usual backpacker destination. That's not even probably the usual let's go and teach English destination. What why on earth South Korea?
4: I knew the people who had taught in the school the year before, and they'd sort of said, listen, you'll make you'll make a lot of money here because it was rural so you had your kids classes we taught every morning i taught in a uh, in south korea's largest nuclear power plant to you were the, you
0: were teaching the south korean homer simpson what button to press in english if the instructions <laughs> came in english
4: no it was even better than that teaching the south korean monty monty burns isn't it the, guy that runs the power but yeah, I taught, the, uh, I taught the, the the manager, the general manager of reactor five and six and his two <laughs> deputies, um, uh, because they were getting a massive review undertaking of the plant, which happens, I don't know how often, but it, it all happens in English. So they wanted some English teachers to come in for a couple of hours every morning and and teach not so much teach, it's more to make them comfortable with speaking English um, because they could even Mr Kim who was in his 60s I think had a a grasp of English which is incredible when you think you know, living in the UK so few of us have much of a grasp of any language as I remembered when I was in Spain at the weekend. (laughs)
0: Dos (laughs) cerveza por favor. That's about it. (laughs) So South South Korea, do you think any of those people have watched the golf and seen Ailey on or and thought, hang on?
4: I know, I have no idea. I'm still in touch with one of the English teachers that worked in the school, a girl called Sai, who um, now lives in Canada. So we're Instagram friends. So um, she'll have an idea of what I'm doing, I'm sure, from Instagram. But whether she's seen any of it, I have no idea. I tried to catch up with her when we were... When I was in Canada for the for the Women's World Cup six seven years ago, whenever it was, um, but unfortunately we didn't go anywhere near where she was. So that was a shame. Yeah, it's
0: it's it's a hell of a big place, Canada, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so all all of these events that you've been to, FA Cup, but the well, I don't know. The pinnacle for me would be the Olympics. How how was your Olympic experience?
4: Uh, well, it was Winter Olympics. It was back in South Korea. So, um, I was able to go back and have some more kimchi and that kind of thing uh no it was good it was good to go back to South Korea actually. and um but it was it was brutally cold. It was minus thirty two I think the day we arrived minus twenty seven most of the time we were there. We had an outdoor studio um so no it was um again it's one of those things I look back on it at the time it was really hard but definitely the hardest thing I've ever worked on Um, without a doubt for so many different reasons but I always look back on it and the group that we had on site there um was brilliant and we had such a good laugh and again if you don't have good people on these on these kind of tournaments and events um particularly when you're there for a long time then then you're going to struggle. But um, no, really good people. And um, Britain did pretty well, which was good. We had some medals. So, um, yeah. I, I really, like, I do look back and I learned so much from that couple of weeks that I was out there.
0: Olympians, if if you have the Summer Olympics, you can, you can line up who the pundits are going to be and who the commentators are going to be. Winter Olympians are a different breed though, aren't they? Some of them are mad as a box of frogs. And they do sports that yeah. are that are nobody pays any attention to for four years and then and then new sports arrive that nobody even knew existed and you become an expert when you're watching on TV how much how much did the did the pundits make that a really interesting experience which must have been quite different for you from what you're used to yeah
4: sorry my Wi-Fi just broke up a little bit there I didn't quite get that <laughs> whole point. I think it was- some of the Winter Olympians are as mad as a box of frogs. So yeah,
0: yeah. So that that experience, that Winter Olympic experience, to me seems quite different from the Summer Olympics. It the the culture around the Winter Olympics is different, isn't it? And does that make for a different show? Does that make for a different team and environment?
4: Yeah, I mean, I've never done a Summer Olympics, but certainly the Winter Olympics there are some real yeah you know when you get when you start getting the, the sort of freestyle guys and i mean <laughs> great fun great fun unfortunately they were based on a different part of the sort of olympic setup to us so i only saw them when they came into studio and what, what such good fun and again still catch up with them on uh on social media and stuff from time to time and uh they were really good fun but yeah they unfortunately weren't based where we were but it was it's it's a different thing because the environment's so challenging that again it's that whole thing of you've got to have a passion for it because nobody would put themselves into minus 27 and you know stand outside and be happy like you know it's that you have to yeah you have to have a different i think and um, But we had so much fun on on that Winter Olympics. We really did. Um, And again, it doesn't matter what event you're working on. When you're stuck together and you're traveling France, we traveled all over France. We We did a game one day, we traveled the next day, we did a game the next day, we traveled the next day. We did that constantly for the whole of the Women's World Cup. And we didn't travel in luxury by any stretch of the imagination one night we did a game one day a game the next day and we traveled on a bus for however many hours it was through the night and you know you we got to the next venue and i mean we were all on empty running on empty and you have to go up there and present a game of football and stand in a you know and stand in a studio with you know and the pundits have to analyze the game and we have to make it look like you know, we as fresh as, as fresh as we were the day we arrived, when you're really, really not. And again, it's the it's the group that gets you through it. It's um, yeah, um. So yeah, when, I'm such good people.
0: When have you lost it? When have you just either <laughs> ridiculous, immature giggles, or you can't believe what the person has just said, or when well, have possibly
4: you possibly on that overnight bus? <laughs> when. When and I'm going to name and shame here, when Lucy Ward started singing to herself, didn't realise that any of us were listening, and she was actually singing "Donald, where's your treasures? <laughs> no idea. <why. laughs> yes. I started filming. It was it, yeah, it's still on my phone. It makes me laugh to this day.
0: <laughs> and and those are the little brilliant moments. Like you said, they're not necessarily on camera. They're not shared with the millions watching, but they're the moments that still make you laugh.
4: Yeah, yeah.
0: I love it. So you've got an unbelievable summer coming up that I think you'll probably be pinching yourself. What, what's your expectations? Let's start with with the Scotland squad. What do you think they can do?
4: I think they can go beyond the group stage. I think the way that the tournament's set up now, I think one win is enough to qualify to the last sixteen. Um I think Scotland can do that. I'm hoping it's in the first game against the Czech Republic simply because that's the one I'll be there for. That's <laughs> the one live on the BBC. No, I don't care who they win. I am um, three draws can be enough. Um I'd obviously love them to pick up something down at Wembley. But um, you know, that's always gonna be a tough ask, but a wee sneaky draw there would be lovely. Um but yeah, I think we can I think we can win. One of our three games minimum, and that I think will be enough to get to
0: the last 16. Do, do you realize that if that happens, you will go on forever because of the historical significance <laughs> of that event? That yeah. what you say and do will be played for on every Scotland highlights package forevermore. That will because that will be the first,
4: yeah. Well, it'll happen on ITV, unfortunately, because BBC only have the first game. But if that's the game where they get the points, then yeah, perhaps, perhaps. But oh, listen, I just love to see them do well and and yeah, get some points on the board and and hopefully we can get into that that last sixteen. And again, I don't think it's I don't think it's an impossible dream to think that we can get to the knockout stages.
0: No, I certainly hope not. But I've thought that for many many big tournaments with Scotland. Um, what does the future hold for, for Ailey? Scotland want to qualify out the group. What's, what's the moment where you'll get your gold medal or what, what would be the gig for you?
4: There's no one thing. I, you just want to constantly progress, constantly be pushing yourself, putting yourself outside that comfort zone and, and working on big events. Um, this is massive for me, these Euros um scotland being there the role that i have across the euros this is this is huge for me then there are big tournaments to come i've never worked on a summer olympics i've never worked on a on a men's world cup and um, you've got the women's euros coming up as well which would be amazing to be part of yet again um so yeah there are lots of big events lots of big tournaments lots of big jobs um, that currently other people do but possibly won't do forever so to have yourself in the mix when when these positions may open up is is where i want to be and i just love what i'm doing now um but yeah you've got to be ambitious and and aim high and you know dream big i guess so we'll see what happens
0: i love it now warren gatlin has to pick a lion squad steve clark has to pick a a Scotland squad you're sitting with Shelly Kerr who's had to pick squads over a, a decent period of time for for Scotland how does the conversation go are you are you watching your phone waiting for the phone call about the Euros or is your agent in negotiation about the next big gig how how does it work for somebody in your role? Yeah
4: I don't sit and wait for things. I think my agent does a lot of work behind the scenes and constantly puts my name forward for things. And for me, it's just about making sure that everything I do is progressing me and that I'm always developing. And that, yeah, you. it's difficult through the season, the way contracts work and and the way um, sports can move from one channel to the other and all these various different things that can happen throughout the season. And, you know, you ultimately have to, you have to look after your your sort of season, if you like, um, because you need to make decisions that will give you security for the next two or three years. A summer tournament's amazing, but it's three weeks out of four years, essentially. So it's difficult to balance everything, which is why I have somebody who can sort of deal with a lot of that and help me out and, you know, make decisions that, May mean that you do something for four years, but you miss out on a summer tournament, or it may be that you decide you work for this one because the summer tournament is going to come up, and that's what you really want to do. But you know, so there is a lot of balancing, and there's a lot of trying to. You never know if you make the right decision, basically, until, until you get there and you, you see how things progress. But so long as I'm working, developing, and you know, enjoying it all, I'm, I'm happy.
0: Okay, I love it. Now I've got two things left. And this one the, the phone call comes for strictly come dancing. What do you say?
4: Get me on it. <laughs> yes. I love it.
0: I love it. Brilliant. That's exactly the answer I wanted. I think that would be gold. Absolute gold. <laughs> and last and, and thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Um I always enjoy speaking to you when we when we met through the Doddy Weir Foundation stuff, and uh, it's always been great. So thank you so much for giving up your time. But we asked the guests at the end to finish the sentence, and I'm I'm intrigued as to where this one is going, although I think I might have a little idea. So for you, Ailey, happiness is?
4: Right now, it's lying on a beach in the sun with a pina colada in my hand.
0: Okay, I'm lying. <laughs> that was nowhere near.
4: Like... <laughs> <laughs>
1: what was yours?
0: I thought it was going to be something to do with a golf course or it was going to be something to do with Scotland qualification. So uh, you completely foxed me there. <laughs> Happiness is on all the those. beach of Peter Colada. I love it. Ailey Barber, thank you so, so much and all the best. Have a great summer. Brilliant to see you.
4: Thanks,
0: you. Bruce. See you soon. See you soon. I love speaking to Ailey. Uh, And so many things that we hear from so many of the guests about being passionate, following your dreams, looking after the people around you, being ambitious. And I think she said at the end about dreaming big, and she certainly did with that letter to Hazel Irvin, desperate to speak to Hazel Irvin and ask what she thinks about Ailey. Pretty sure she'd be nice about it, because let's face it, she is a tremendous lady and she is going to go for the stars. And I think there will be gold medals coming her way very, very soon. Thank you very much for listening. You can catch us on Spotify, Acast, and Apple. You can also watch on Facebook and YouTube. Please subscribe, tell your friends, leave a review if you've enjoyed it. Leave some comments or future guests if you think you've got a great idea and you think they would maybe say yes to spending an hour blethering away to me. Thank you very much for being here. I love it. My name is Bruce Acheson, and my happiness is egg-shaped. Speak to you all again soon. Hello, I'm May. Oh, I'm chaos, and, and our
2: happiness, happiness, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped, and loves a circle with no end. We were talking about this last night, and he said happiness is egg-shaped. Hey, um, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped, and loves a circle with no end.